We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, which means that some people who think we start at 11, they're going to be blessed with having missed about 10 minutes of the message already. Um, Today is Veterans Day. It's Adoption Sunday. I don't know why people put things that seemingly have nothing to do with one another on on the same day, but they do. And we're in a series called Thanks Again. This series is challenging us to be and to express more gratitude in uh, what seems to be a very ungrateful world. And the title that Steve and I came up with for this message many, many months ago was Thanks for Watching. On the one hand, as we were thinking about this, we thought it would be a, a, you know, a really joyful kind of theme, just like last week, you know, the, the joy jar. And so originally we were going with the idea of kind of like Psalm 121, 1 through 3. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not stumble. And I realize that that's kind of your experience today, is you've just, you're in a season where you're experiencing God protecting you in a, in a pretty incredible way, and, and it's really good. You're experiencing God's blessings, and it's easy for you to say, hey, God, thanks for watching over me. Now, Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. It's one of those psalms that would have been sung uh, by a community as they would have made their way up to Jerusalem. Now, this particular psalm is interesting because it is written by a psalmist who is thanking God for helping him journey through the dangerous hill country to experience worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, after the events in Texas last week, I think we would be permitted to ask, okay, God, thank you for writing psalms that tell us that you watch over us while we make our way to church. But are you still going to watch over us when we're in church? That's what Texas forces us to do, doesn't it? It forces us to deal with a, with a different component of this psalm. And I'm mindful then that some of us are coming in here today on Veterans Day. Maybe you're here, you're remembering a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece that has actually lost their life so that we can have freedom. Maybe you're in here and you're in a completely different season. Maybe you're in here today and you're in a Psalm 10 season. If you took a Bible from the rack, Psalm 10 is on page uh, 540, and uh, this is how that psalm begins. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Whereas Psalm 121 expresses thankfulness because God is watching, Psalm 10 says that in the very moment that God is the most needed, that's the moment when he's the most concealed. Completely different experiences, completely different emotions, both real but very different. Now, in a community of this size, in a nation 
like America, both of these experiences are going to be experienced simultaneously. In other words, both at the same time. And the reality is to be a part of a community, to be a part of a church, to be a part of a family, demands that sometimes we have the unenviable challenge of processing joy and sorrow at the same time. And here's the problem. If you are white, if you are evangelical, your religious system, your faith system, your training, your teaching, the preaching you've heard, doesn't do a good job of helping you process emotions. Emotions in the white evangelical church community are the most underdeveloped aspect of our theological system. Here's what we do. We isolate them. What we do is we read passages like this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And we think that they're sequential steps. Okay, I kind of mourn with this person because they're sad, and then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to kind of be joyful with this person. It's one after the other. That's the way we read it, right? But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is actually saying, look, to live as a whole person actually asks you to integrate joy and sorrow, not isolate them. See... How many of you, like us, went home and did the joy jar? Wasn't that such a cool thing? It's so much easier to express thankfulness when you've got the jar on there. It's just give thanks, right? But what do we do? We put a joy in a jar. The question is, what do you do with this stuff? You know, all the messed up stuff. You, this is what the evangelical community does. It keeps it over here. But to truly read the Psalms... Psalm 121, Psalm 10. Their worldview, the Hebrew worldview, does this. That is so messed up. And it feels so wrong. Because in so many of our minds, joy and sorrow, they really shouldn't mix. They make bad traveling companions. When we were younger, uh, when we were younger, when we lived in London and we had uh, Alicia, my daughter, she was about three, then we had Alec, and then when Alec was about 15, 16 months old, we had Jonas and uh, two boys. We thought, okay, three under the age of three, fine. I went to work, Vipka had the hassle. Um, But Alec and Jonas, they just did not get along. You put them in the car and one of them would set the other one off. They didn't travel well together. You take one of them out, it was fine. You put both of them in, it was awful. So we thought, you know what? We won't drive to school. In Europe, you typically only have one car anyway, 10 bucks a gallon for gas. No thanks. You typically walk. So, hey, this is what Vipka thought she'd do. I'll walk the kids to school. Got a double buggy. Get a double buggy in Britain, you have more than two kids. People say, hey, have you got a television? Why have you got so many kids? So apart from the fact that double buggy wouldn't actually fit down all the aisles, Alec would put his arms through and scram Jonas. They would be going cat and dog at one another. It would be awful. They didn't travel well together. Separate them, it's fine. Combine them, it was uncomfortable. That's what this is like for many of us. But yet the reality is, Veterans Day, to truly celebrate 
and honor veterans. This is what we do. When we applauded those people, those of you that have stood, aren't we also remembering those that have stood up and taken responsibility but have died? When we, later on in the service, we're going to, uh, and as you follow through in Psalm 10, we're going to recognize and pray for those people that have stood up for the weak and the vulnerable, the fatherless, the orphan. We're going to celebrate. We're going to say, God, thank you for these people. But aren't we doing that precisely because the weak and the vulnerable are in that spot? See, to be truly biblical demands that we integrate joy and sorrow, not isolate them. If we isolate the emotions, we isolate the person. If you isolate your emotions, you're more likely to isolate yourself as a person. That's not healthy. The first time I really got to grips with this was a number of years ago when I met a guy I'll call Chris. And uh, Chris had been married to Jean for many, many years, and then after a battle with cancer, Jean died. Chris then, after a number of years, met someone else, and I met him in a church that, uh, the church I was pastoring in, in Florida. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Chris about this, and, and he would say, Craig, there's rarely a day that goes by when something doesn't happen, and I remember Jean. And in that moment, it'll kind of all come flooding back. And initially, when I'm talking to Chris, I'm like, oh, man, maybe he hasn't processed his grief. And, and he said, Craig, a number of people think I haven't processed my grief, but I have. It's just this kind of sadness is not something I'm supposed to get over. It's something I'm supposed to integrate into my life. I'm so thankful for my life right now. I'm so thankful for my relationship that I have right now. But I'm called to integrate my life, not isolate my emotions out of my life. I think there's so much truth to this. When we're dealing with tragedy, when we're asking profound questions of life, in order to be able to say, God, thanks for watching, even when it feels like he's not, we have to be able to integrate. And here's the amazing thing. <laughs> what we do with our emotions, we do with our scriptures too. So I quoted you Psalm 121, 1 through 3. And it is so good if you're in that season. But Psalm 121 is not supposed to be read in isolation. Psalm 121 is a psalm that combines with Psalm 120. Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 go together. They are integrated. You isolate these three verses, you get the wrong meaning. Psalm 10. If you read Psalm 10, you recognize that Psalm 10 is not supposed to be read in isolation. In fact, Psalm 10 is what we call an alphabetical acrostic. That basically means that each line of Psalm 10 begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Here's what's interesting. It doesn't begin in Psalm 10. One, the acrostic begins in Psalm 9. And then you start to read Psalm 9, and you realize, wait a minute, Psalm 9 doesn't stand on its own either. It actually starts with Psalm 8. And then you read Psalm 8, and you think, wow, wait a minute, Psalm 8 doesn't sit on its own either. It actually begins in Psalm 7. Many of us read our scriptures 
In the same way that we try to process our emotions, we isolate them, and the Bible says, no, integrate them. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Dwight and Meredith, I'm sorry, that is such a Welsh name that I say it all wrong every time I do it. There's too many vowels in there for this Welshman. But what I want you to do is, I actually want you to close your Bible. I want you to put down your pens. I want you to kind of, if you're reading electronically, I want you to push the off button. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to process our emotions in the same way the people of God process them. By doing something called communal reading. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy, teach those in Ephesus to continue to read the word and then to preaching and teaching, communal reading. Major portions of the scriptures were read at one time, and what happened was people processed their emotions and their life right now within the fuller counsel of God's wisdom. What we do is we isolate it. We read one verse, and we just write 15 pages on it. What the Hebrews did, what the early Christians did, is they just listened. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to engage your ears and your heart. And I want you to listen to Psalm 7, Psalm 8, Psalm 9, Psalm 10 as it is read. And simply ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me as I listen? And then we'll continue from there. Thanks, guys. Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, for they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you even care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. Sitting enthroned is the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous, and your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. 
His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and he never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you because you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. Because the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. I'm pretty sure that for many of you, that may well be the first time you've actually listened to Scripture. This is what the ancients would do. They would process their experience by listening to the fuller counsel of God. And as they would do that, there would be sentences and statements in there that would really speak out to where they're at emotionally. But that would be interspersed with these truths that remain true, even though we may not feel it's true. And what's really interesting with this psalm is that and these psalms that we read, is when you read them as one unit as they were designed to do, you, you start to discern some of those truths that are supposed to help us integrate our emotions. One of those truths is in Psalm 7, for example, there's a plea for deliverance. And it's this idea that evil is local, wickedness is local. We, we have a saying essential, mission is local. That basically means wherever a child of God is, mission exists. In a sense, wherever the, what the psalmist is saying there is wickedness is local. It's, it's around here. But there is this hope that this wickedness will be punished by God's righteous judgment. You move into Psalm 8, a psalm many of us isolate again from Psalm 7 and 9. And what we discovered here is that this awesome God has actually allowed mortals, notice the continuation of the word, that word is there throughout a number of the psalms. He's allowed mortals to rule. But he's done that within limits. Helps us understand why things work the way they do and how uncomfortable they are. We move into Psalm 9 and we now start to see that this wickedness is international. It's all over the world. People everywhere, and this is the key idea, people everywhere forget the limitations of their authority and they do that because they have ignored God's power. And then we move into chapter 10. 
And chapter 10 begins with that verse, God, why? It continues that alphabetical acrostic. But then in verse 2, it jumps away from that and shows us why the wicked do this. Because they live without the knowledge of God, without any concept of their own mortality, and believe that they can kill innocent people in a music music festival or in a church, and they can put a gun to their head, and they can blow their brains out, and that's it. Psalm 10 says that isn't it at all. It's not it at all. God will judge righteously. See, when we begin to process our emotions by integrating them into the full counsel of Scripture, it becomes more comfortable to live with a mess. It's never totally comfortable, but it becomes more comfortable. And I think when we see the Scriptures this way, It enables us to say, God, thank you, even though it's difficult. From this portion of the Scripture, and and just speaking for a moment to those people that may well be here and are struggling to say thank you in a season of pain, I think there's three challenges that we see. The first challenge is this. Look, when we read Scriptures in chunks and just listen to it, we're challenged not to lose our, lose our perspective. Don't lose your perspective. It is so easy when the days are tough to isolate this emotion and to get to the point where we see the entire world just through this emotion. What we've done in that moment is lost perspective. Perspective is gained when we take a step back and we see the bigger picture. Now, again, in the psalm, this bigger picture comes as we recognize these verses, this idea that the wicked hunt down the innocent because in their arrogance, they lose sight of the God who extended the authority to them. So, in other words, the source of wickedness is pride that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The perspective the wicked needs is, listen, you will be held to account. But the perspective the righteous who suffer need is that if we isolate our pain... Our own pride will cause us not to rely on God either. We won't hurt other people. We just damage ourselves, maybe our extended family, maybe the people around us by taking a step back and saying, God, I am not going to trust you with this pain. That's pride too. That's a loss of perspective. Integrating our emotions, integrating joy and sorrow causes us to actually maintain perspective. As the saying goes, to keep our head when everyone else around them is losing theirs. The whole council of Scripture does that. And we don't get that necessarily by dissecting the Scriptures, but by listening to it. God says, listen, listen. Don't 
lose your perspective, however strong this emotion is. Secondly, these, these portions of Scripture challenge us not to lose sight of our own mortality. That gives us comfort. In those days where the wicked do things thinking that they're going to get away with it. The Scriptures say they will not get away with it because they are mortal. And this is what the Scriptures mean here. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Why? Because we want them to realize there is a consequence. Let the nations know they are only mortal. For he who avenges blood, I love this, Psalm 9:12. he does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. This whole idea that people can get away with wickedness is something that the Scriptures don't allow us to hold on to. And when we discern the whole counsel of God and step back from the immediate emotion, these truths come into us. It will be made right in the end, which is why Jesus says, listen, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Strong words. There will come a time when all will be made right. And those who live as if this life is the end, that they can get away with what they want, are going to have a very rude awakening because the text says they will be judged in his presence. They will have an eternity to deal with the ramifications of what they have done. That's the, the evil side of it. But what does our own living with our own mentality do for the believer? I think we've got great examples of this, haven't we? With people like Holly, for example. Last week, Pastor Steve also mentioned someone in our own community that has recently been diagnosed with a terminal diagnosis, and Steve commented how amazing was his faith. Have you noticed how it is possible for believers faced with their own mortality to suddenly become these kind of superheroes of the faith, their growth is unbelievable. It's also undeniable. Faced with their own mortality, their faith becomes more important and their temporary struggle becomes less important. I honestly believe that if we want to process pain Dealing with our own mortality while we live is the way to truly live in a God-honoring way, which is why Jesus said, those who die, yet shall they live. If you die, yet shall you live. The way to living life to the full is to die to our own flesh, which is recognizing our own mortality. If you're struggling with pain, Recognize how important it is to process all of this in perspective of God's truth. But recognize, too, that this life is only temporary. The next life is eternal. Now, in the psalm, 
It was uh, Psalm chapter Psalm 10 that uh, Dwight read. He read that portion that kind of says, and the wicked feel that they're going to get away with it. And then that part ends and the alphabetical acrostic picks back up. And what happens then is it shows us how God is going to deal with this. God is going to deal with this when his people remember how important it is for us not to lose sight of our responsibility. The reason I think that it is so important to honor veterans is because we recognize when they stand that they accepted the responsibility to protect our nation, even if it meant they had to die in order to do it. They accepted responsibility. In the same way in the text in Psalms 10, verses 16 through 18, we see these kind of statements. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. And you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Let me ask you, how is that supposed to happen? How is God going to defend the fatherless and the oppressed? And again, if you read the full counsel of Scripture, you know the answer through you and me. Accepting responsibility. Stepping up for the weak and the vulnerable, those who cannot help themselves, those who cannot defend themselves, and saying, we're going to make a difference. That's how evil is overcome. That's always the way evil is overcome in this world, through God's people, through people standing up and opposing injustice and proclaiming justice. In a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to to kind of celebrate, champion. Celebrate with those people that have just stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to stand up for the weak and the vulnerable in our community, the, the orphans and the modern-day orphans in the foster care system. And we do that with celebration, but at the same time, we do it with sorrow because these weak and vulnerable children shouldn't be in that position. But what are we doing here? We're celebrating the fact that somebody's taking responsibility. Injustice is being overcome because someone steps into the gap. (laughs) This Christmas season gives us so many opportunities to do this. Even little things that we do can go such a long way of making someone who's so messed up and life is so bad feel so grateful. Let me give you an example, Christmas store. In just a few weekends' time, we'll have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families from the Holland community who have no money to buy gifts coming through the store. We need about 500 volunteers to make it work, and and what we do is we encourage people in our community to just take a green bag and and purchase a couple of gifts and and bring them back. We need about 3,000 gifts a number of you have done this, and every year you, some of you have done this. We need you to do it again, but there's a great story that I want to share with you about one young couple who I'm going to call John and Jennifer. I've asked them if it's okay to share the story, and they said it was. And, and they moved to Holland in 2015, which was just before the Christmas store. 
Any of you who've tried to rent accommodation in Holland will know that that's difficult to do. Housing was difficult, uh, and work, I think, hadn't quite started yet. And so they were financially struggling. They wondered what to do. They heard about the Christmas store. They signed up to come to our Christmas store. Some people met them. I walked them around. They went into a presentation of the gospel that uh, Pastor Kelly did. And after attending that store and being so blessed by all of you, they decided to check Central out that very next Sunday morning. And since then, they've hardly missed. And that was a journey that has brought them into Central, where they've actually stepped up to become members of this church. But that's not where the story ends. The the great part of the story is God has actually been with them and protected them and blessed them since 2015. So now for the first time this year, they were actually able to take green bags themselves. And they said, you know what the great thing is? We're now able to do for someone else. God through Central has done for us. See, even the little things we do, taking a green bag and buying a gift, goes a whole load, a whole long way in taking someone's sadness and their distress and what? Turning it into joy? No, integrating it in a way that helps them never forget their responsibility to take what was their mess and make it his message of glory. That's why we integrate it. The message of the gospel is integrated into a messed up world. And so, church, we really are encouraging you in this season, look for ways in which you can truly Accept your responsibility to step in and bring and be the good news of Jesus Christ, even though it may be difficult for you to do. What's great with the Christmas story is that uh, Hope College, an email was sent to Hope College, and uh, they circulated around, and 10 Hope College students with no connection to Central at all have actually said, hey, we want to be a part of this Christmas store thing they're going to serve. More than that, Hope College community itself has actually said, hey, give us 50 green bags, and we're actually going to work with you, Central, to bless those people that have very little. Do you know what starts to happen when communities work together to actually tackle injustice and poverty and crime? Change happens. Change happens. So listen, I, I don't know where you are in, in this season of life where you're in Psalm 121. God, thank you for watching me and saying thanks again is so easy. Or whether you're in a Psalm 10 season of life where it's just really tough. My challenge on both sides here is to look, integrate your emotions. Because when you do that, you accept the fact that the way that God deals with the injustice in this world is through you and I stepping up and taking responsibility to defend the weak, to speak out when things are wrong, and to do what's right. And we need to do it early. Many of you watching all of the, all of the stuff coming out about Hollywood producers and everything else, I want to ask myself, why weren't people speaking out 10 or 15 years ago? Speak out the truth. Step up and take responsibility because that's the way that a nation is changed. That's the way a community is changed. So what we're going to do for the rest of the service is we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate who God is, that God has actually brought us this far. We're going to celebrate that no matter what comes against me, I don't need to fear because God is with me. 
We're also going to recognize that in that celebration, there is mourning because there are weak and the vulnerable. We're going to pray over uh, the adoptive families and, and those of you who may well be in here who feel like orphans. We're going to do all of this, but we're doing it because we believe in integrating joy and sorrow into a message that says God takes the mess of this world and makes a message out of it. And that message is you and me. So I pray you're ready to worship. I pray you're ready to engage. And as we do that, let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word that wherever we find ourselves, in the highs of Psalm 121 or in the valleys of Psalm 10, your word reaches us. And your word causes us to take a step back and and to maintain perspective. Your word causes us, Father, and challenges us not to lose sight of our own mortality, but to recognize that no matter what pain we're embracing right now, there will come a time when all of that will end and we will be face to face with you in eternity forever. And Father, as we continue to worship, we just pray that you would meet with us and that we would give you our very selves in return all of us, not isolated, but integrated into the message of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.